I am uh, glad to introduce to you once again Ryan Beebe, who has been here before to preach for us. And so I'm so thankful that he is here with his wife, Sarah, and their five beautiful daughters. So we're so glad that you're here, Ryan. Come and, come and share the word with us this morning. Well, good morning. And I do have five beautiful daughters, but I can't always remember which one's which. So I'm sure you all know that struggle. You run through every single name as you're trying to call out the one you need. Uh, well, it's good to be with you this morning. It's, it's a sweet, it was a sweet time of fellowship, getting to know some of you beforehand, and so thanks for coming and enjoying that, and uh, we're very grateful for y'all's gospel witness here in Barstown. Our church is praying for y'all this morning, and, uh, and they, uh, they were all making sure that, they're like, are you preaching if you have a call down there in Barstown? We, we need to know. We need to prepare our hearts. I said, no, I'm helping out. Crossings Church. So we're, we're grateful for y'all's faithful witness here, and we do as a church pray for y'all. Um, so thank you for what you're doing. But in light of what you're doing here in Bardstown, I do want to ask a question. I mean, what is your hope? What is your hope for the world? What is your hope for America? You just keep narrowing that down. What is your hope for Kentucky? Your hope for Nelson County? Your hope for Bardstown? Your hope for your neighbor? your children, your co-workers? What is your hope that this church will prevail against the darkness that's all around us? What is your hope that, that God's purposes and mission will keep moving forward? What is your hope? That God has a plan and a purpose that he'll bring about. What, what gives you hope? And depending on how much news you consume, you know, the world can be a pretty despairing place. It can be fairly discouraging as you look at the news and as you listen to what's going on in the world around us. And there's a lot of good going on, no doubt about it, but I guess because it sells, media bombards us with the negative and with despairing news. So what is your hope? And when we think of hope as Christians, we're not thinking of hope like kids, you might be hoping you go to a certain place for lunch today like i hope we get to go have pizza or i hope we get to go eat at this place which may or may not happen or you may hope you get a new car or get that raise at work which may or may not happen that's not biblical hope at all when we're thinking about hope as a christian we're thinking about something that's sure something that's steadfast something that's immovable some some future reality that's going to happen no matter what because god said it's going to happen it's a hope that's certain. It's unchanging. And our hope is in the saving work of God alone. Our hope is in God and His acting to pour out grace. Our hope is on God's grace for salvation and transformation. And in your life and to the ends of the world, right? That's our hope. That's our hope. We kind of know this instinctively. Think about how you pray for something. Or for someone. So think, this may be a little different, but think of someone in your life whom you know that does not know the gospel. They don't know Christ. And I'll just give you like 10 seconds to, to pray for that person right now that they would come to know Christ. So I know it's a little different, but just pray for 10 seconds or so for that person.
Okay, so you're, you just prayed for someone, and I want us to see how our hope is just intricately connected to God. Because when you prayed, what did you start off with? God. You in, immediately just rendered it into his hands. God, I want you to do something. I want you to act. So the, pray, the fact that you simply pray about it reveals that it's God's, God's got to do that work. We need God to act. And if you ask God to, like, like, cause them, God, to believe in you, even your hope is not that they'll believe. Your hope is that God would work in their heart to open their eyes to the beauty of Christ and the gospel. And so your hope is in God alone. Your hope is in his grace. Or think about if, you know, that age-old evangelistic question, if I, you know, when you die and you meet God, when he says, why should I let you into heaven? Heaven, What are you going to say? You know, I don't know if anybody's ever used that on you. I've never personally used it, um, but I hear it's, it's effective because it really brings the question, the main issue to bear, right? You're going to die someday. You're going to stand before God. If he says, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to tell him? Well, not... Not what the world believes, but just think about what you would tell him. If you were to say, well, God, because I believe in Jesus, he would say, well, okay, uh, maybe. This is all hypothetical. I'm glad that you believe in Jesus, but what is it that you believe about Jesus? Well, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus paid the penalty my sins deserve so that I can live in heaven forever with you, God. And God will like that answer better than anything you did, right? Because <laughs> you're pointing... To Jesus, Your hope is in Jesus, his blood, his death on your behalf, the grace that comes to you through Jesus. Our hope is in the grace of God in Christ. That's what our only hope is in. So turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37 is a favorite spot of mine. It was written about 593 B.C. I know that puts all the pieces together in your mind. So, but what had happened was the Babylonians had come in and taken Israel out of their home. And so they had come in and taken them into exile. And Israel is despairing. They're, they're down. Right? They've been removed from their homeland. And they're living in Babylon under Babylon rule. Babylon oversight. They're having to do whatever the Babylons want them to do. And therefore, they're being exposed to all of Babylon's gods. They're being exposed to their culture. They're being exposed to a lot of things that are not healthy and good for God's people to be exposed to. And so they're despairing. They're struggling. They need hope. And the first half of Ezekiel is a lot of condemnation, a lot of judgment, a lot of Israel, you're here for a reason. You rebelled against God. But the latter half of the book is full of hope. It's full of promise. It's full of this promise of a future restoration. That someday God's going to act. He's not going to leave you in Babylon forever. Okay, He's not going to leave you there. So there's a great deal of hope. And in, verse, in chapter 36, if you're open to it, just look at verse 24. God gives them a list of promises. He gives them a list of promises. Look at chapter 36, verse 24 and following. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Beautiful promise, right? They're going to get to go home someday. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people. And I will be your God. So Israel from Ezekiel has now heard these great, precious promises. That God's going to give them a new heart. He's going to put his spirit within them. He's going to bring them home. And they're no doubt wondering, well, how? Right? Right now we're in a foreign land under foreign leadership. How are we going to get there, God? Help us understand that. And verse 37 begins to answer that question of how, or chapter 37, rather. So the first thing we see as we work our way through Ezekiel 37 is that we can hope in God because God awakens the dead. We can hope in God because he awakens the dead. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, and then we'll look at them a little more closely. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I, this is Ezekiel, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken I will do it, declares the Lord. So a chapter that ends on a high note starts on a very low note. The image we see is a valley 
full of bones. And the idea is that it's a picture of Israel that's been defeated in battle, essentially left to the birds of the air to feed upon them, which was a sign of God's great judgment on them from Deuteronomy 28. God had warned them, if you abandon me, your armies will be left in the fields after a slaughter. I will not fight for you. So God had warned them of this judgment. And the emphasis on these bones is that they are very dry. Very dry. Have you ever been walking through the woods and come upon a skeleton or bones of some sort? I, I actually went on a hike yesterday and happened to pass by th that very thing. And uh, just kind of chuckled to myself because I was preaching on it today. Um, but I never, ever in the furthest reaches of my mind think that those bones have a shot. Like, I never think that maybe if the right things combine here, those bones can come back to life. Never. That thought has never crossed my mind. Usually the thoughts are, I wonder how it got there. I never think that I could bring them back. And so the picture is of Israel in a valley, dead, dry bones. The emphasis is that they can't do anything on their own. They're dead. A dead person can only do what a dead person does, which is be dead. <laughs> Nothing. He's bound by the fact that they're dead. That's just what it is. And this is, this is what sin does to us all, right? Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam's sin, sin spread to all men, and so death through sin. Because Adam was our representative and he sinned, that sin has spread to all of humanity, and therefore death has come to all of humanity, just like God has said. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. This kind of runs at odds with a lot of what we're taught today, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, I've heard things in my whole life. God helps those who will help themselves, right? You take a step towards God, he's going to take a step towards you, right? <laughs> My good will eventually outweigh the bad. That's, how, that's what most people, most people that I interact with who aren't believers think is why they'll get to heaven. My good will outweigh my bad. Or, or like this, this idea that God is too good. God would never, God would never let somebody perish in hell eternally. Never. Since we've suddenly become the final authority on who God is and what he does, right? I mean, it's not up to us. The Bible teaches that God is holy and that man is sinful and that we're dead before a holy God. The problem is that we're dead in our sin and dead men can't do anything. Which brings us to this picture in Ezekiel 37. Dead bones in a dry valley don't need self-help teaching. Right? They don't need three points to a better you. They don't need to realize their full potential. They don't need to rely on what's in them. They need to be acted on by an outside power. They need to be acted on by the God of grace. That's their only hope. That's our only hope. And so God makes it a point to ask Ezekiel in verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? And I would have been, I would have said, no way. Ezekiel was wise. And he said, oh Lord, you know. Oh, Lord, you know, which is a, a good answer. So Ezekiel's not going to presume to think that he has the ability to do something. But he wisely leaves the matter in God's hands. 
and then proceeds to act in obedience on what God calls him to do. And what do the bones need? What do we need? What is our hope? Our hope is God who gives life to the dead, who calls into existence the things that do not exist. The hope is God's grace. Now, when you think about grace, a common way to define grace that I used to use is God's unmerited favor. If you used that before, that's the one that I would often use. And I think it's still a good idea and a good way to explain grace. But it may allow for a couple of things. One idea is that it, it could, God could just un, you know, give you favor without having it cost him anything or without having to act himself. So it, there could just be this subtle view of grace that's a bit more sentimental than the Bible would allow. That God just kind of has his warm fuzzies. And he feels good towards people, so he just gives them grace. But grace was not that easily given, was it? No, grace comes through God's action. And so I, I think if we think about grace, grace is God's concrete response to human sin. It's his concrete action in response to human sinfulness. So this special saving grace of God is that God's grace saves people through Christ and saves and keeps them to the end. If God is gracious, he must act. He must commit to not punishing us for our sin. He must make that decision and commit to save us from the sin that we've put ourselves in, which is going to require God's action in response to our sin. So God's concrete action. And when did God act so concretely? Well, we need his action in history. He acted in history first, in Christ, right? To save us from our sin, we needed a representative from God, as Daniel prayed earlier, the second person of the Trinity, who left heaven to come and bear the punishment that our sins deserve so that we could enjoy his righteousness, so that we could enjoy the relationship that he has with the Father. So God's grace is seen in his concrete action in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay, receive the punishment that we deserve. But then we also need God's action in our hearts. We need his action in our hearts to awaken us from the dead. To open our eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. The night of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need him to awaken our hearts like those promises in Ezekiel 36 just said. That God would give us a new heart with his spirit. And this is all of grace. This is God's action Apart from his action, we would still be dead in our sin. We would still lack, uh, to, we would still be unawakened to the fact that God sent Christ. And that grace then, that God acts in history and that he can act in your heart, is what gives us hope that he can act in any heart. Right? I mean, if he can save you and he can save me, then he can save anyone. And how does he do that? How does he do that? As Ezekiel see, we see in Ezekiel 37.4 here, we can hope in God because he awakens the dead by his word. By his word. Look at verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Do you have the them bones, them bones song in your head? Has that run through anybody's head but mine? Maybe it's just me. 
it would seem really futile to preach to dry bones, right? I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense in my mind. Start Ezekiel, preach to those dry bones. Unless words that God gives can restore life. Otherwise, it would make no sense. And so Ezekiel, like I said earlier, he obeys. He begins to preach. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause a breath to enter you, and you shall live. And look at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Ezekiel begins to preach, and then you can hear it, right? In your mind, you can hear this rattling of bones begins to fill this valley with sound. And these bones are forming into skeletons. And then sinew is formed on the bones and flesh comes on them and skin covers them. But at this point, there's no breath in them. At this point, God's speaking through Ezekiel. And the bones and the flesh and the skin are coming together. But there's no breath. There's still no salvation. This breath that is used in the rest of this passage is the exact same word used for Spirit, when it refers to the Spirit of God in verse 1, when it says, He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord. That's the same breath, that same word is used for breath. And the idea is that these bones need God's Spirit. And so before salvation comes to these bones, before life, the life of the Spirit comes, God is orchestrating their connection. God is orchestrating their life. Before he gives them the breath. Now think about this. This is a really amazing thought. The events leading up to your salvation. So we were, we're, we've seen that salvation is by grace alone. And our hope is in God who gives grace. That's our hope. But the events leading up to the point when God speaks the word to you. To awaken you to the glories of Christ. Are orchestrated by God. That's what we see here. He's putting these, the flesh and the skin on these bodies before he gives them life. Like, where were you born? Think about it. Why were you born into that family? And who brought you the gospel? And why were you born into a family that had the greatest privilege in the world of being exposed to the gospel? Why weren't you born in some remote village in Uganda? Well, it was God's plan. It's God's hope, God's hope-giving plan that you would be born in a place that hears the gospel. God orchestrates these events. And so no matter how despairing things look, I mean, we just came out of the holiday season. Sometimes time with family can be pretty despairing, especially if they don't know Christ. No matter how despairing these events look, if you're in that family, God's plans and purposes were for you to have the gospel influence in that family. And no matter how despairing it may look on your family side of things, God's orchestrated it so that they had exposed to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ through you. God's hope, we have so much hope because we know God is orchestrating everything that gives us deep and abiding hope. And then we see that there's no life, no spirit, Apart from the word of God. His saving and awakening grace comes through his word. As Romans 10 teaches. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. If God doesn't speak. We can't be saved. If God doesn't speak. No one can be saved. The life comes through the words. 
which is why Ezekiel preached to dry bones. He preached the words of God. Think about the verse that Daniel read, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The God who said, light, shine out of darkness. Think about that picture in creation. God said, light, let there be light. There was light. It was light, right? When God says, light, shine in the darkness, that same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That same speaking power that created the sun and the world and the universe with a word creates new life in people when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the word of God being preached. God creates by his word. And then when we've run from him in sin and we're dead in our sin, he recreates by his word as he forms Christ in his people. Look at the emphasis on what God's doing. Look at verse three. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Look at verse five. I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Verse six. I'll put breath in you and you shall live. You see it in verse 9 and 10 and over and in verse 14. Live, live, live. God's word brings life. That's our hope. Our hope is that God awakens the dead by his word. I don't really know 100% when it happened. I've been exposed to the gospel my whole life. There was a time when I didn't want to follow Jesus, and there's a time now where I do. And that's a radical change that God's brought about in my life. And it came about by his word. This is our hope, right? I mean, this is your hope for Nelson County. This is your hope for Bardstown, your neighbor, your coworker. This is your hope for Crossings Church. God awakens the dead by his word. This is your hope for parenting. It's so good to see so many kids in a church. It's so good to see a lot of dads chipping in too. I really commend you all for that. This is our hope for parenting, right? Because parents, let's be honest, we don't have what it takes, right? My hope is not in me for these kids. They push me to thy utter limits and beyond most days, right? My hope is in God who awakens the dead by his word, that he'll do his work. And those precious girls. I do love y'all very much back there. All right. This is our hope for family members, maybe that you've been exposed to at Christmas time recently. It seems like I, they're beyond hope. They're beyond reach. This is our hope. God awakens the dead by his word. And you know what else God does is he forms Christ in us by his word. So it's not that the word gets us saved and then it's something else. Right? The word of God continually coming to us is what continually forms Christ in us. It continually exposes us to the spirits working through the word. So I don't come to church because I'm a pastor. I don't. I come to church because the word of God is read. The word of God is sung. The word of God is prayed. The service points us to Christ. It points us to his gracious sacrifice on our behalf, our new identity in him. The, the grace of God is so abundant in church because God has promised to be with his people. And as you're continually exposed to the word every Sunday, week in and week out, 
God is forming Christ in you. That new life he gave you, he's continuing to form in you. And this growth is hard to see. It really is hard to see a lot of times. Um, John Flavel, a Puritan, once said, Christian growth is not, is not, it's like the grass. You don't see it grow. You just notice that it's grown, right? Come the spring, you're going to notice that the grass has grown, but you won't see it grow. And sometimes Christian growth is slow like that. It's steady. And the time here at church, God's grace is coming to you from his word. And he's forming Christ in you through this repeated, faithful exposure. So you have hope. You have hope in God because he awakens the dead by his word. And then that word continues to work and bring about grace in your life week in and week out. But we also hope in God because he awakens the dead by his word. And what does he tell us? He then establishes us on his promises. He establishes us on his promises. Don't forget who this is being addressed to. It's applied to Israel, who's under Babylonian rule. They're in exile. They're needed to be, Israel, get your mind off now. Right? Israel, take your mind out of the current situation And look ahead. There are promises that are coming. There will be action on God's life. And on God's behalf for your life. God through his word then. Grants them very precious promises. Look at verses 11 through 14. And notice when we look here. How much God says I, 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 I. Right? You always know that you're. You're struggling with some, a little bit of conceit in a conversation when you start to hear the words I come out <laughs> repeated. Like I and I and I and I. That's usually a bad sign for us as people. But when God's doing it, it's really good news. It's really good news. Look at verses 11 through 14. Because this is what Ezekiel is preaching to them. These are the promises. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones... Are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Look at when they are focused on themselves. Look at what they're focused on. Our hope is lost. We're cut off. We're dead. Verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. We contribute our graves, we contribute dead bones. God contributes promise after promise after promise after promise that fills you with hope. Look, I'll open your graves, he says. There's no more despairing point than death. If he can reach into the grave and bring you out of it, anything you're experiencing this side of the grave, he can handle. Anything. I will raise you from your graves. I will bring you into the land. I will put my spirit within you. You shall know that I am the Lord. And then he even says, as if God himself saying it is not enough. 
I have spoken and I will do it. He affirms his trustworthiness as a God. I said I'll do it. I'll do it. And in 2 Corinthians 1.20, we get a glimpse of how God's promises are meant to be realized. He says, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, who has put his seal on us, and given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Here is Paul saying, all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ, are yes in Christ. And then he's referencing this new heart and the spirit of God that's alive and well, which, are, which is what these promises in chapter 36 of Ezekiel were referencing. That God has given us a new heart and given us his spirit. The promises of God's word are founded on Christ. Jesus, our hope for the world down to your neighbor are the promises in Christ Jesus. So his word speaks the promises. They, they never come to us apart from Christ Jesus. They were always meant to be realized in Jesus Christ. So do you cherish this Christ? I mean, when, when you hear him preached, when you hear these songs about him, is your heart stirred with the love of Christ for you? You fix your gaze on him? Do you come to him each day in hope, knowing that God, Jesus Christ, delights to give you the grace and the strength you need for each day's demands? And not only that, he's not just going to give you the grace that you need. He sympathizes with you. He knows your pain. He knows your trials. He knows your struggles. Do you rest in the promises of Christ that are freely granted to you in Him? Do you think often, do you fill your mind with the beautiful promise that someday Jesus Christ will return? Someday all things will be made new. Someday the pain you're experiencing, the sorrows you're experiencing, the financial difficulties you're experiencing, they'll all be done away with and Jesus Christ will restore the world. Do you look to Him and find hope from Him? Do you find those promises fulfilled in Him? When you're struggling with sin, do you run to Jesus and say, God, give me grace. I'm about to say something I don't need to say or do something I don't need to do or look at something I shouldn't look at or not do something that you're calling me to do. God, give me grace. I'm fighting sin. You have promised that you will give me your spirit. You have promised me life. Give it to me. You have promised me. You have said you'll do it, and you'll do it. Do you fix your mind on Christ and fill your heart with those precious promises? Because those are where the hope comes from. And God's word to you that he will never go back on. Everything we just did, everything I just said, right? God, give me grace for this. Help me fight this sin. Help me cherish you. Let me know your, your sympathy and how you understand what I'm going through. Those are all things he loves to do. Every single one of those things is something he died so that he could do for you. You have hope 
Because God awakens the dead. He awakened you by his word. He speaks his word to you. And he's given him, you his word in the Bible. And that word is full of great and precious promises that he loves to fulfill. That he loves to pour out in you. You have a God here at Crossings Church who can take bones and make them into bodies and give them life again. That's the God we serve. That's the God who's yours in Christ. He's already proven his ability to do so in each of you. And he's established you on these great and precious promises that he's granted you in Christ. So church, I encourage you to hope in God. Treasure his word. And cling to Christ, through whom all these promises become a precious reality. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you. And we thank you that you have given life to us. That you have awakened us from the dead. That you have put flesh and sinew and skin and then breathed your life into dead bones. That we might live. That we might know Christ. Know his love. Know his sustaining power. God, I pray that you will fill us with hope. As we contemplate these promises. Fill us with hope as we see your faithfulness to, to bring about these promises in Christ. Guarantees us that you will fulfill them in the future. We know you've been faithful before. You'll be faithful today and tomorrow and from this day forward. So give us hope in you. Hope that emboldens us to go to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our community with the precious promises of Jesus Christ and with the powerful word of the gospel so that you might bring life to the dead. So that you might build your church here in Bardstown. For your glory and for the good of each of these people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.